Hey everyone, my name is Zach at FF Chalupa Batman. This is Beyond the Analyst series. Tonight I'm joined by uh, one of my favorite hosts out there, Joe Pisapia. So I'm sure you all know who he is, but if not, he is the author of the Fantasy Black Book series, podcast host of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros, TV host of Sports Grid, and the podcast host for In This Ring, a wrestling podcast. So how's it going, Joe? How are you doing today? It's going good, man. You win the contest, by the way, for most creative Twitter handle. Fantasy Football Chalupa Batman. I don't even know how that happens. It sounds like a code word for something, but I'm loving it. I think it's fantastic, and I appreciate you having me on tonight, man. Thank you. It's actually inspired by the league. Um, one of the you guys. Know, I haven't the seen bet. the league. I know I'm uh, like I'm like the worst, and everyone keeps telling me how have you, Joe Pizapia, not seen the league? So it's got to go on the list now that the season's over. I'm gonna put it all all the way to the top now. You'll binge it quick. I'm not gonna spoil too much, but basically, someone <laughs> wants to name someone's kid Chalupa Batman. Um, it was part of a bet. Um, so that, that's where it was inspired from. Awesome. So you'll know what I'm talking about after you watch a few seasons. I'm almost done with Letter <laughs> Kenny, so when that's done, then I can switch over to the league. So that's that's my comedy right now that I'm into, which is just so damn funny. Perfect. You'll love the league when you get there. I'm sure it will. Uh, so this is uh, like episode five as we're as we're going into this new series. So. For those of you who have tuned in before, we don't talk about fantasy takes. Um, and if you're new to this show, we're just going to get to know Joe. Um, that's the whole point of this. We're going beyond the analysts, having some fun. Um, like I said, we have plenty of time in this offseason to get fantasy football takes. And I know you'll be sharing lots of them and you have great books coming out talking about them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to do a little, something a little different today. So to kick it off, did you play any sports growing up? I did. Uh, I thought like that's all I did <laughs> for quite a bit. I was a very serious baseball player. Um, played, you know, high school baseball, American Legion baseball. I played in the camps at Williamsport. My first job, actually, my first paying job uh, was 16 years old, coaching up in Williamsport, coaching baseball. Uh, played basketball, uh, organized basketball too. Um, wanted to play football, but that was the biggest argument I had with my parents. I mean, I play, you know, schoolyard football and full tackle football with my friends all the time, but I wanted to play high school football, but my parents would not let me because they worried I was going to blow a college uh, scholarship. And ironically, I ended up going to school for acting and got a scholarship for that instead. I got baseball too, and I had to choose. I was like, well, I'm a pretty good baseball player, but I'm not going to play baseball professionally. So I guess they were right in a way, but and then I went to college for acting, and I met a bunch of other ex-athletes there who happened to be in this art school with me in Philadelphia. And we used to go to the parks on Saturday afternoons, true story, and we used to beat up on all the frat boys in games and against the UPenn kids, against the Temple kids. We used to crush them. They thought we were these little, like, dainty art school kids, and we used to absolutely roll them. It was hilarious. So, uh, so yeah, so sports are always a very important uh, part for me. And uh, like I said, baseball was always my first passion. But it's funny, you know, as you get older – that changes and, and your likes change and the game of baseball's changed so much and evolved into something that's very different than the sport that I really fell in love with first. And football's really evolved into something else. And that has really overtaken for me in the last, I would say, 10 years or so. So it's been a really um, interesting kind of diversion from that. But yeah, I mean, I still, you know, if I if there's an old timer's day, I think I can still go out there and still get it done. I can still hit. I could definitely still hit. I don't know how fast I am running the bases anymore. I can still catch and throw a football too. I have to do that every weekend. But uh, yeah, man, it's. Uh, I feel like when you're an athlete, as a you know, as a kid and as a young adult, it's just kind of one of these things that sticks with you, and you always try to keep it, you know, as a part of you as you get older. That's awesome. I mean, even at today's age, with the way the game is, as long as you have that that right launch angle, 
I mean, it's okay if you can't That's run. That's right. You're, you're, I mean, I, I mean, DH, DH is calling for me, baby. Let's go. There you go. Just put you in the <laughs> AL. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, you mentioned theater as well. So mm-hmm. would you say it was a combination of your sports background as well as your acting background that got you into kind of this fantasy sports role? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, wacky road, uh, to be honest with you. And I was a professional actor for many years and um, you know, I still get, uh, as I say, I still get the vote for the Screen Actors Guild Awards, actually. So I was like a real working actor and I, I studied the classics and I worked a lot in theater, did a little television, a little film and stuff. And then, you know, sports and fantasy sports are always something I really enjoyed. It was always like a side thing. And then, you know, it just sort of evolved over time into what it's become now. And, and it's fun because, you know, I always loved being part of a show and I love the entertainment aspect of it. And, you know, I think some fantasy, analysis is great, but it's awfully dull. And I think whenever you can deliver and communicate really good and entertaining fantasy advice, it's it's better. Because, you know, this is it's fantasy. Well, let's be honest. I mean, that's what it is, right? And and yes, all the stats are important, all of that, but it's supposed to be fun. And I think we sometimes forget that. So I think it's it's good to have that combination of information and entertainment, which I think is a super important thing. But yeah, I, I do feel like that's um what's kind of separate separated me quite a bit. And it's kind of like the two passions that I've always had combining into one thing. Like you're putting on a show, you know, you have your cast of characters who come in for different shows and you're working with them and you're trying to get good content and you know, everything's improvisation. Everything is kind of on the fly, even though there's a script and you do these show sheets and you did it tonight, right? You're planning out how it's going to go, but you're never exactly sure hundred percent how things are going to go and what the mix of people are going to be. But yeah, it's kind of like, combined uh, both of my passions there into one thing. And it's great. Now I just play myself, which is a lot easier. Um, just just like a, me turned up to 11 is pretty much it. Like, you know, it's it's pretty much me, pretty much the same guy, most people will tell you. But, yeah, you got to perform just a little bit. You know, I'm a little bit more low-key than the guy who's hosting the shows for the most part. For the most part, <laughs> depends. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I think, helped kind of uh, cross that bridge. And kind of bring those two worlds together for me. So it's the best of both. I get to do a show every day and I get to talk about sports. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, I don't think anyone would describe your hosting ever as dull on any case. <laughs> well, that's good. I, it's like one thing, they can call me a lot of things. Dull's not one of them. That's good, man. Definitely not. Uh, so this feels like we're going to take, take a left turn here, but I promise it's, it's going to all make sense when we get to it. So I'm coaching my son's soccer team. Uh, uh-huh. We started when he was three, four. He's he's in the five, six division now. He's five. So it's we've gone on for a few, a couple of years now, several mm-hmm. seasons. Um, and I know you coach your daughter's flag football team. I do. Mm-hmm. So do you think your coaching style is similar <laughs> to any of the NFL coaches? Yeah, I'm definitely more in the uh, like I'm on the field, rah rah. Like you know, I'm you know in this age range too. You're allowed to be on the field because you're calling the plays with the kids, which is great because you're in the huddle with them and you're talking to them, or you're on the defensive side and you're 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 teaching the game as they're playing it, which is great. I mean, that is such a wonderful aspect of the game. And uh, as far as like myself as a coach, I'm definitely the very positive, very energetic, you know, I'm probably more in that Bruce Arians, maybe that, you know, Marty Schottenheimer, Sam Weish kind of a <laughs> grouping. Like I'm not the Bill Belichick who just sits on the sideline, doesn't say two words. I'm probably more in the Sean McVay, like, you know, they score a touchdown, I'm running there with them kind of thing. You know, it's it's more of that kind of thing. And, and I got to tell you, I, you probably experience this too. You know, when you're getting to that fifth and sixth grade level, that's when stuff seems to get a little bit serious. Don't you find like that, that next, that, Third to fourth grade is one thing, but that fifth to sixth, that's when oh, the stuff starts to yet. get real. 
I'm at the five six year olds. Oh, five six year old. Oh, oh, I'm, oh. I'm like just oh, waiting to sure see what right direction. No. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know what's so great of encouragement? Though? Having coached baseball in my life for many years, um, and now coaching football, you know, there's so much individual pressure in baseball uh, for the kids, and football's so great because everybody's out there on the field at the same time. And everybody's out there who's got an assignment, got a job, and everyone's playing together at the same time. It's, it's, you can see there's just fun and they're just engaged with it. And baseball is a lot of downtime. You know, you, you come out there, you, you know, you, 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 you strike out, then you got to sit on the bench and then you got to go out there and maybe play left field. The ball is going to hit you the whole game and stuff like that. It's very different. It's so much more engaging. And I think, you know, I got to encourage, you know, the parents out there to find a NFL flag near you. Um, it, it's, it's just incredible. I mean, the, the, Especially for the girls too. I coach the all girls league and I also coach, you know, the, the co-ed league. And it's so amazing how different it is because the girls are so focused. Like if you tell a girl, all right, you're going to run a slant five up and then three across and then you're going to turn and do this. They will do it to the letter. And it's amazing. The boys, you know, sometimes they're like looking around. They get like, they, they lose focus. It's just, it's night and day. Give me the girls to coach any day of the week, man. Uh, it is, they are just so passionate and so hungry for it. And the boys are good. Some of them are really great, but some other ones, sometimes you're just like, they're just spacing out and you just, it's a little frustrating sometimes. Like, just listen, run right. Why are you running left? I want you to run right. We set up the plate. This is right. This is left. But I, it, you know, it's so great now that they have these leagues and, and they're organizing them for girls. And I know girls football in New Jersey went from eight teams in high school to now 26. So my guess is the next couple of years is going to really take off here in New Jersey. I know Matt Leinard is out there in California uh, organizing the girls flag football out there for the high schools. And I just think it's great. I think anything you can do like that to bump up another female sport is tremendous, especially one like flag football because it's not expensive to play. And it's, you know, there's no contact and things like that. So it's really about skill and understanding the game. And, you know, and I know, like you play Pop Warner, you're playing these other leagues, the biggest, strongest kids, you know, they tend to dominate or you play in the basketball leagues, like tallest kid who happens, you know, they, they tend to dominate, who have the best skills in football. Everyone's got to do their job. And if they don't, things go sideways. And that's a much different vibe. And I think as, as a youth sport, it's really great. And you take the contact danger element out of it. It really, you can see the kids just kind of blossom. It's really awesome. Yeah. And so I played uh, flag football in middle school. Um, mm-hmm. So did you call your own plays? Because my coach, like I was wearing a <laughs> wristband. I was the quarterback. Um, I had to learn all the plays. I had a wristband. He was calling the plays. And I mean, I never played football after that. I, I moved on to <laughs> soccer, but it was a lot of fun. Like, yeah. like you said, like getting to learn how to, that's the next football. level. When you get to the seventh and ninth graders, that's when you get the the wristbands and the plays and stuff like that. And actually, we're just organizing now like a, a next level for some of the better kids to play more often so they can come practice, you know, kind of against each other and maybe take them to a couple of the local tournaments and things like that just to, you know, really teach them the game because you don't get better unless you play. And that's the whole thing. You know, you show up once a week, there's, there's going to be small improvement. If you're practicing once a week and playing once a week and doing, you know, more playing twice a week, you can really see the improvement there. But yeah, I, I think eventually you get to that level with them. You see it on the older kids where they have the plays, they have everything. And, you know, I like being on the field though. I like teaching. That's the thing. I've always been a teaching kind of guy. So I like being on there and, you know, you know, explaining, okay, you're the safety, which you're going to, you're going to move left to right here. Okay. When you see, you see the handoff, that's when you pursue, right? But if you see it's a pass and you drop back, you move left to right, you follow the quarterback's eyes here and, you know, teaching them those things. It's so great. And then when you see them actually, you know, connect with it and make a big play or, you know, we've had a couple of pick sixes this year on our side going the other way, which is great. 
And, uh, you know, that's very exciting because, you know, like part of that was you kind of instructing that kid and saying, well, this is what you look for. And then you look for it and you get it. It's a great feeling for them and for you as a coach. It's really, it, I'll tell you, man, it, it's the most, it really rejuvenated me. You know, there's a lot of work during football season and this fall, every Saturday, just going to that field. It's like two hours where you just don't think about anything. It was tremendous. I love it. That's awesome. I'm waiting for you to reach out to maybe some head coaches or offensive coordinators. To, to, to <laughs> hey, I would love to be an OC. I want to be an OC. <laughs> That's the best job because you don't have the pressure of the coach. You just got to worry about the offense and you go through there. And then if the team wins, then you're a genius, right? If you get good players, you're a genius. You get hired there no matter how you know bad your resume. And these coaches now, they're like 10 years younger than me, I feel like, in the NFL. It's crazy. <laughs> so you're just going right into your prime. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you talked about acting as well. So that's kind of the the other side of it besides uh, sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of experience in, yeah. in theater. Um, so I think it's fascinating that I believe you're trained and certified to teach stunt fighting and weapons, correct? Yeah, I was a stage combat instructor for 10 plus years. Um, that was the other thing, too, that, you know, I first went to college. It was a conservatory school uh, that I went to in Philadelphia called UArts, and they had a um, a huge stage combat program, which I loved because as a kid, I grew up with Star Wars and all these, you know, He-Man, all this stuff. Like, I had swords all the time. <laughs> that was always my thing. Lightsaber, swords, whatever it was, that was my deal. And that was kind of like the crossover athletics and acting too, because it was very competitive. It was very physical. Um, it takes incredible endurance and strength and you're fighting with all these different weapons. So this was like heaven. And we had one of the biggest programs in the whole country, uh, in that school. And it was just something I loved and I did all through college and I took it very seriously, took all the tests. So got certified in all eight weapons, you know, rapier and dagger, long sword, sword and shield, hand to hand knife, the whole thing, quarter staff, spear. So I've done it all. And, then as I got older, you know, I actually went to an acting studio in New York and then they asked me to come back and teach because they knew that I had that background and they were creating a bigger program there and started a program from scratch and it built up. And over the 10 years, I was a stay at home dad, took care of the kids, worked on the weekends, wrote the books and did podcasts and eventually got the job at Sirius where I worked for free for a couple of years just to get experience, but they put me on air. So I took it. Um, and it's funny because like that was that was the thing it was like those were my part time jobs. It was the fantasy world, and then teaching you know stage combat and training actors, which is funny because when someone asks you what you did for a living, I wouldn't know which thing is more believable or unbelievable <laughs> to tell them. It's like, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I write fantasy books for for football and baseball, and and then I I teach sword fighting. I mean, it all sounds like I'm making it up. It sounds you know. Professional eight-year-old is what my friend Kurt used to call me. So I'm pretty good with that. I'll, I'll, I'll go down to <laughs> with that one. That's a good one. But yeah, I mean, it's in, and at a certain point you get a little older and you're like, okay, do I want to do this forever? And 10 years was good enough. And I had a great time doing it. And then I really just kind of started to, it felt like the pole was really going in this direction towards the fantasy industry for me. And, you know, and the kids were getting older and stuff. And I felt like this was a good opportunity for me to really go into it now. And the commute to New York was killing me. No one's a commute. Nobody. So I'm just excited that it all kind of, you know, so far has worked out. Knock on wood. That's awesome. And you said there was eight weapons you trained in. Did you have mm-hmm. a favorite that you either taught? Or yes. Uh, rapier and dagger is my favorite with the two swords. So you have the longer sword which has that very fancy hilt around it, uh, which you'll see more in like the um, more like the Renaissance kind of period, things like that. Um, and then the short dagger. And what's so great about that, it's, you know, you're going, it takes a lot of mastery to do that because you're going back and forth where you're fighting on the right side and the left side, the two different times, they're two different size weapons, two different weights. And there's so many incredible 
you know, pieces of choreography you can do because when you have multiple weapons, it's a beautiful thing. And, and the art of violence is a, is an incredible thing. And it's something that has really taken off in the industry, I would say in the last 15 years, you know, I think from maybe from like Lord of the Rings in the early two thousands, I feel like from there, that kind of propelled things a little bit. And then you got your game of Thrones. And, you know, if you watch last kingdom, some of the sword and shield fighting there is spectacular. Um, you know, you got the John Wick movies. Uh, one of my students actually was in the second one, uh, that I trained. So it's, it's a cool thing to, you know, be a part of and then to see the evolution of, you know, the, the wicks and the atomic blondes and where for fight choreography is gone, especially in films. You know, went for the dopey matrix wire crap that you saw in like those movies to, hey, this is some really incredibly, uh, gifted performers here and incredible minds of choreography. So it's so cool to see that. And you see all these sword epics and you see all this stuff going on. It's great because it's a more interesting way to tell a story. You know, you're telling a story through a fight. It's the same thing as why I love professional wrestling too. It's the same thing. They're telling a story through physicality, through, through violence in a way, but it's a story and, and it's choreography and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And when it's done well, you get the reaction. It doesn't matter about wins and losses. It doesn't matter. What it matters is did you get the story across? Did you entertain people? And I think that's that's a cool thing. I, I like the combination of worlds. That's my big thing. I like that. I like you to take the yin and the yang, you put them together, and you get something cool out of it. That's awesome. So one of my favorite fight scenes um, is from Daredevil Season 2, uh, that hallway fight scene. It's I was just going to say the shot. hallway fight, right? The hallway fight is great. Yeah. You know why the hallway fight is great? Because it's a little messy. And sometimes things are too clean. I love the hallway fight because there's moments in it, and you'll attest to this, right, where where things don't go his way constantly. <laughs> like, it's not perfect. And it feels raw. And that's a great bit of choreography, and, and it's very well executed. So I agree 100%. That's an excellent choice, my friend. Like, now, is it really that intense for t- – like, they did it in one shot. I mean, I'm assuming they might have done multiple takes of it, but the well, – What you see no in the one shot is probably – you know, like to get one fight, it's probably about, you know, to get a really good fight of that length, it's probably anywhere from nine to 12 hours of work without a doubt. Yeah. Um, to get it ready enough to that you're going to go in front of the camera and you're going to execute it in one take. Now, they probably did it a few times, but, you know, to do it like that is, is really tremendous. Atomic Blonde has some really long sequences too. And whenever you see long sequence fighting, that's how you know the people who are doing it know what they're doing. John Wick is full of that. Right. Whenever you see constant cutting or fancy camera tricks where they're like, they put you like you're in the fight. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's to cover up the actors who can't fight and the people that they have who aren't worth their salt. But when you see long sustained phrases of fighting six, seven, eight moves at a time, that's when you really get something. The Shang-Chi fighting was very good too in the latest, uh, one of the later Marvel movies just recently. That was some, some really high end choreography there. That's all. Yeah. I enjoyed the, the fight scenes in those. Um, mm-hmm. Now to switch gears a little bit back to, to fantasy, um, every year you publish the fantasy baseball black book as well as the fantasy football black book. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both <laughs> extensive books. They're very popular. <laughs> um, and more recently, you've um, added some other analysts to collaborate mm-hmm. on various sections of the book. So as you just mentioned, Shang-Chi, you're a Marvel fan. So I, I think this kind of makes you like Director Fury, uh, forming the Avengers. Um, so... I guess, why did you decide to have other analysts collaborate with you? And how did you choose your Avengers? <laughs> I always saw myself more of as an Iron Man, but uh, I'll take the Nick Fury. In fact, I was Nick Fury for Halloween a couple of years ago. The eye patch and the whole thing. And my daughter, my, my oldest daughter was Captain Marvel. So that was fun. We went for Halloween. So, um, you know, I started out 
doing, you know, the baseball books completely by myself. So I would write 400 plus player profiles. It would take months to do. It was uh, madness. And after I think the first six years, I was like, okay, I need help. And as I started to get busier in the industry, I just, you know, I could, people wanted the book earlier and earlier. You know, I remember the first book used to come out. I would want to say I put it out probably the week after the Super Bowl or something like that. Now it's the two weeks before Christmas it comes out because people want it that early because of best ball leagues and the things that they're into. So, and same thing with the football book too. I mean, I think we used to put it out in July 1st and now it comes out June 1st. I mean, just because, you know, you just can't wait that long to put out that kind of content. Um, and for me, it was calculated finding people, you know, who, whose work I respected. And uh, I knew we're going to be super passionate and make great contributions. And over time, you know, it's been different people. And, you know, the people who keep coming back are the ones that I really, you know, think very highly of. You know, Paul Sporer uh, has been with me for the baseball book for many years now, writing the pitcher section. Uh, Eric Cross, the last couple of years, there's nobody better in the prospect world than Eric Cross. Chris Meany has been with me for both books <laughs> for many years. Um, and on the football book, I've had some fantastic collaborators over the years. Jake Seeley. Uh, I've had um, this year. I brought in Andrew Erickson, who I think is going to be just a huge star in this industry. I think he's just he is it. Um, my friend Michael Florio from NFL Network uh, wrote for us this year, so it, it's it's got a great cross section in the football book too. I've really, you know, we've had Lauren Carpenter and Kate Majuk, and we really try to expand and understand. There's a lot of different voices in fantasy football, and it's important that we include them all. And and that's what's great about the fantasy football community. It is more diverse. And I think a more diverse conversation is a better conversation and we get more people's takes and more people's approaches and, and understand like that this is the game we all love and it's a wonderful thing that we all can congregate and come together over it. And I think that the football book too, and, you know, I'm always looking for those people and I'm always blown away when people are like, Hey, do you need anybody? I'd love to work for you. I'd love to write for the book. And, you know, it's, it's very humbling and I appreciate it. And it does make me feel a little like Nick Fury, but I have to choose the Avengers carefully. You know, I mean, if I'm trying to think, you know, who the, Jake Seeley would have been the Captain America because he's the biggest goody two shoes. That's for sure. It's def definitely Jake is that. And then, you know, it could go through the different ones, you know, try to figure out who Paul Sporer is. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure it out. Uh, figure, I got to figure out who Hulk is too. Maybe, maybe Eric Cross is Hulk. He's kind of a tough, you know, gritty guy. I think I'll give him that one. But it, I'm going to sit down and give them all appropriate designations. I, I like where you're going here with this. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna need a graphic in the book at some point of yeah, uh, right. As Marvel characters, I won't let Paul Spore be Thor. Maybe Ant Man. I don't. Know. <laughs> you say he's on there. You're like you're on there. I promise. You just can't. You're in there somewhere. You just can't see you, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Uh, so, if you're game, I want to go into some some rapid fire questions. Sure. So these are slightly controversial. Pull it up. <laughs> awesome. The best kind. Yep. Um, and I, I tell everyone on here, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to support you with this. And there's going to be some, some people that aren't going to like your answers. And I don't I don't have to appeal to anybody. I don't care. I'm my Perfect. own man. I'm, I'm too old to worry about other people's <laughs> opinions of me. I don't care. Awesome. It's going to be fun. Uh, so first one, do you pour cereal or milk first in the bowl? Always cereal first. I don't know what kind of a monster would pour the milk first. That makes no sense. Also, I learned a technique. I don't even remember where I saw it somewhere. I might have been on Food Network or something. Or some, someone made a little comment about something. You know, people make the mistake of they pour the milk all over the top of the cereal, and then they complain because it all gets soggy. What you do is you pour the milk right in one area and let it seep down, and that way the top layer stays crunchy, and then you can go through the bottom up to the top, and you get the soft and the crunchy all together together. That's how you do it. Who puts the – you put the milk in first? I've never even heard of such a thing. I do not. Uh, Cooter Doodle is the 
the most loud and proud of the Milk First campaign. What kind of nonsense is that? I got to talk to her about that. Uh, that. That's a whole podcast right there. Next time I have her on the show, that's going to be a huge, it's going to be the first half hour of the show is uh, figuring out why, why that happens. <laughs> Definitely mention it. All right. Next one. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh. You know, hot dog's kind of its own entity. You know, as an Italian, when you say sandwich to me, that's like a very, this is a very specific thing. I, I don't consider a hot dog a sandwich. Hot dog is its own food. It's like a ha- – I mean a hamburger is not a sandwich either. I think those are – anything on a grill, I don't I don't think is a sandwich necessarily. I mean if you can go to the cheesesteak, okay, like that's a sandwich I guess. But that's its own thing too. When you say sandwich to me, I think lunch meat. That's what I think. Or peanut butter and jelly or something like that. Like, that's the sandwich stuff. Hot dog's its own thing. How about you? Where, where do you stand on the hot dog debate? Uh – I don't know. I, a hot dog's a hot dog, like you said. Uh, no, I mean, if you want to call it a sandwich, call it a sandwich, but a I'm asking sandwich. for a hot dog. Like, it's a hot dog. I'm not asking yeah. for a sandwich. I don't want a hot dog sandwich. I don't want a hamburger sandwich. I mean, if you want to say a cheesesteak's a sandwich, okay, well, that that I can understand. Yeah, because it's kind of like but, a sub. Like yeah, well, it's on a longer roll. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. But sandwich is two pieces of bread or like, a, you know, or – and then you got the whole thing. Is it a sub? Is it a hoagie? Is it a – you know, is it a grinder? Oh God, I don't even I don't even know what the what the hell to call anything anymore. <laughs> I guess it just depends where you live, is what it you is, call that. I one. guess, yeah. <laughs> so should toilet paper hang over or under the roll? Over. Over, over there I will fix it at your house if I go to the bathroom and it's wrong and it's over and I will tell you that this isn't a debate, and I'll tell you why. I worked at a hotel for four years. And the standard in housekeeping is over because that is how you pull the toilet paper down. It's not under or behind. That's dumb. You don't go underneath in order to get it. It doesn't pull properly. It's meant and designed to go over the top. So in the finest hotels, and I worked in a very fine hotel for four years, I can tell you the standard is over the top. That is how housekeeping is meant to put it in. If it is not over the top, they fail the inspection. And I'm telling everybody out there, this is the way it was designed too. The patent for this is over the top. I've seen the pictures for it. So no, not under at all. And I, and I am, like I said, if I see, it actually irks me. It's one of those weird things. Like <laughs> it really bothers me. I, I'm not like super OCD. That's the one thing. And you nailed it. That drives me out of my mind. If I see it, I'm like, Oh, what's with these people? Like, Get the toilet paper over the top. Come on. <laughs> not to start any controversy uh, with any coworkers at fantasy pros, but uh, I had Pat Fitzmaurice on for another episode and he is an under, the role well, I'm going to talk to Pat about that right away. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to message him right after the show's over. <laughs> Perfect. Just because uh, he's an under it. guy doesn't mean it's right. Like, you can have a preference, but there's a right and wrong here in this one, and I'm telling you that's the right. So, doesn't mean you, you could still call a hot dog a sandwich. It doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm on your side with, with the, the toilet paper roll. Um, we got one more food one. Is okay. pineapple an acceptable pizza topping? I'm Italian. No. No, it is not. <laughs> I knew the answer before I asked it. You, Get out of here. Go. <laughs> no. And I like a lot of different things. I'll do the buffalo chicken. I'll do, you know, I will get crazy with the pizza toppings and I make my own dough from scratch. I'm a serious pizza guy. I got it out there on the barbecue and, you know, I'll be making six, seven pizzas during a barbecue, just shooting them out there while everyone's in the pool and hanging out. The pineapple thing, it's just weird. No, no place for that. Oh, not going to do it. Fair enough. Last one. This is probably the, the toughest, I think. Of these have been thought. easy for me. I got. I'm very passionate. You've so far, you've hit on like a lot of, you know, the the pizza thing, the toilet paper thing. These are like the, my big triggers. 
Uh, I told no, you controversial. We're, the we're cereal one I've never even heard of. I don't know what the hell that's about. <laughs> I can't wait till you talk to Cooter Doodle about it. Oh man, <laughs> that's that's just insanity. I don't I don't even know how you justify that. Like, how do you know how much milk you want? Like, what depends on what kind of cereal you have? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> madness. I'll remember it too. I will not forget this. And Pat, I see on a show. I think next week I have him, so I got to ask him about this. Perfect. So you're stuck on an island, but you are able to listen to music. So what is the one album you would choose to listen to on that island? Oh man. That's a that's a great one. That's a great question. I'm a big music guy, so it's really hard to choose. Uh there's a couple contenders. Um Purple Rain would definitely be high on the list. Um if I cheat, I could say In Your Honor by the Foo Fighters, because that's two discs. So I'm kinda like cheating because I get like like two things in there. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty tough. I think I'd end up going with Purple Rain at the end of the day because that's just a just a perfect album. It really is. And there's a lot of great ones, but that's that's really good. There's a lot of great Stones albums. There's a lot of, you know, the Chris Cornell, Higher Truth is a great album. There's a little lot of, you know, my favorite albums and things like that. And, and then, of course, there's the one where it's like, I'm not ashamed to admit there's certain albums that I really like or artists you might be like, oh, why is he like them? And that would be very close for me too. But I think Purple Rain at the end of the day. I remember I wore that tape deck out. I had the tape for it, the cassette. And I listened to it so much as a kid that I actually like broke and my mother had to buy me another one. I like those I'm, I'm old, so I know the, those silver and black ones with the handle you used to carry around with you. And you have to plug in the earphone <laughs> before you had a Walkman necessarily. Like, I had a Walkman, but I had this little thing, too, and I used to walk around with it. Very funny. So, yeah, there you go. I think you made the right choice if you had to get a whole new tape deck, I think. I think you prepared yourself if you were stuck on an Yeah, island. yeah. So, there you go. <laughs> that's that's <right>. awesome. <laughs> so, that's the end of my rapid-fire questions. Um, and at the end of the questions, I appreciate you, you coming on. I just want to give you a chance if you had anything to plug. Um, or share any of your content or where everyone can find you. No, I think this is great. First of all, this is fun. It's fun to just go and talk and just, you know, get to know each other better and things like that. And uh, I wish you all the luck coaching the little guys. You, you got a lot of patience. I don't know if I could do the three and four year olds. It's that's, you know, soccer, especially, you know, I feel like they, they just kind of run to the ball this way and then they run to the ball that way. Good. You're, you have more patience than I do. So you're a good man, Zach Berger. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife also coaches with me. She's really the one that handles the kids. I'm more teaching them soccer. She, she's the communicator. I'm the, the demonstrator. Okay. I'm, I'm on the field helping encourage them. But no, no. Uh, five, six is way easier than three, four. Uh, oh, yeah. Three, three four, four had no attention just, span. And they, no. half the kids just It's like me with T-ball. Like, you'll never find me working T-ball. I think T-ball is a ruination <laughs> of our society. Hit the ball. Here it is. I'm going to throw it to you. You hit it. It's never going to stand on the T for you. It makes no sense. You're not teaching anybody anything. I like it. Anyway. You can find me, of course, on the Twitter machine at Joe Pisa, PS17. And as you said before, hosting all the Fantasy Pro Show. We got the Baseball Black Book out on Amazon right now if you're playing fantasy baseball. And in June, the football book will be out there. And we got betting pro shows. We got Sports Grid TV shows going on. So busy times. And I got a new In This Ring to record after I watch AEW tonight and find out who the new signing is. Because that's all they do every week is sign somebody new. And then they don't know how to book them. So I get to talk about that on my wrestling show. So <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so this is the Triple Play Fantasy Beyond the Analyst interview series. So you're either watching this on our YouTube channel. If you are, go ahead, like the video, subscribe. Uh, we have a lot of great content coming out every day, all three sports. Um, so I don't want you to miss any of that. If you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you subscribe to either Apple or Spotify so you don't miss any great shows. We have a lot of content, like I said, for football. 
coming out all off season. So thanks again, Joe, and have a great one. Thanks for having me, Zach.